What I want to do is go through these questions. We'll start with the, the young people's group because they had some great answers. These are their own answers. And if you've got anything to add to them, we'll just go around. So I think the first question was, what is sin? And Callum had two things there. Oh, no, it was Emma Jane. Sorry. Um, sin. There's Emma Jane, the microphone's there, okay? <laughs> there <you are>. Right? <laughs> um, sin is doing wrong, turning against God, evil doing, and it's bad and disobedient. And it's what? Bad and disobedient. Bad and disobedient. Okay, there's a lot in there. Right. If you've got that, give yourself a pat on the back. If you've got anything else to add to that, what is sin? Let's go to this group first. And if Chris, please. Um, there's a mic there for you. Or um, I don't like these. Um, <laughs> if a, sin is a state rather than uh, individual actions. A broken relationship with God. Sin is a state of broken relationship with God. Okay, let's go on the group behind. Pass it on to Andrew. It's like Trisha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Christian version of Trisha. Mm. We had uh, turn in your own way, uh, disobedience, just the same as what has been said, contrary, uh, doing things contrary to the will and the law of God. Uh, yep, and that's it. Okay. The, yep. Mr. Jack, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, okay. Okay. Um, any want of conformity or transgression of the law of God. Um, <laughs> Maggie, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh-huh. we, we thought we'd mention something about the outworkings of it. That is the wages of sin or death from Romans 6.23. Okay. And sin is lawlessness from 1 John 3.4. Okay. Very good. Sin is any want or conform- of, of conformity or transgression of the law of God. Shorter catechism question 14. Okay. Naomi. We had rebellion against God, absence of God, and not listening to God. Okay. Not listening part's uh, important. Rebellion's also important as well. Okay, let's come on to the next one. That's Sarah. Rebellion from God, separation from God, turning away from God, disobedience, putting ourselves in charge of our lives, not doing what we should, and ignoring God. Okay. And Hugh, do you have anything to add to that? Graham? You don't have anything to say right now. Okay, let's just go on quickly to number two. And this was, I believe, was it Emma Jane? No, Callum. It is Callum. Um, any words that are synonymous with sin? And these were, you had two, I think, is that right? Uh, we've got more. All right, go for it then. Okay, not going God's way, transgression, disobedience, wrongdoing. Okay, we go four. Anyone else? Uh, we'll start with this group this time. If you've got anything to add, any words? This... Pass it to Graham. Uh, we had uh, transgressions, wrongdoings, being bad, bad intentions, iniquities, and rebellion. What was the last one? Rebellion. Rebellion. Okay. Just cross off the ones I've got here. Sarah, do you have anything to add to that? Bad stuff, okay. <laughs> Anything else? Evil. Evil. Sorry, you got mic there. And then just the same, really. Just the same. Yeah. Naomi, you have anything to add to that? Anything different? Um, we had darkness, death, ungodliness, fallen and imperfect. Okay, yeah, darkness, yeah, death. Okay. 
There are actually dozens of words used in the Bible, but let's keep going and see. Uh, we just had two more to add to that. Separation and disharmony. Yeah. Okay. Separation and disharmony. Andrew, you have anything to add? Um, we were nailing a bit of Romans. Uh, it's got loads of them in there, like. Um, <laughs> godlessness was one. Wickedness, uh, weakness, um, evil, pride, transgression. Uh, yeah. Okay. There's loads. There's a big list. Just check it out. It's loads in Romans. That is correct. Chris. Amartya. What? Amartya. Oh, the Greek word. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the Greek word. Chris Ewer is using the Greek word. <laughs> Copying what he's written down. Okay. <laughs> Anything else? What about the Hebrew? Mark. Mark? No. Okay. Okay. And amartya means falling short, not hitting the mark. So the idea of missing a mark or a goal, someone, I can't remember who it was, had breach of relationship, hugely important, uh, separation, all the ones in Romans, perversion, rebellion. Um, sin separates us from God, but it's also against God. All right, what do you think of the two quotes, um, Mr. well, particularly Mr. Cameron's view, that we have faith that most people are good and will do the right thing if only you trust them, are human beings essentially good or essentially evil? Fiona Ellis, please. You, were, you had something interesting to say here. Right. Um, humans are in the middle because Jesus was human and he was perfect. But sometimes we turn away from God, which makes us in the middle. Okay. So that's a very interesting one. We're going to unpack that one in a minute. I'm going to come back to that one because she said human beings are in the middle because Jesus was human, which is true, and he was perfect. But sometimes we turn away from God and that kind of makes us in the middle. So... Um, let's come back. Chris? We spoke a bit about people's, um, we spoke a bit about people's definition um, of good and evil yeah. and how the biblical definition is quite um, far off from what a cultural um, popular definition would be. Um, so what we, would, what we would say as Christians is that people are essentially evil. However, with that, with that in mind, we're also made in the image of God. Um, and that would make us essentially good, but with difficulties in staying that way. Okay. It's actually a really difficult question, by the way, to answer. So I'm really interested to hear. Let's go on to Andrew then. Your group, please. Are human beings essentially good or essentially evil? Uh, yeah, evil. <laughs> uh, that's my cat. No, no. Uh, <laughs> no, we talked about how, like, uh, how sort of something we've inherited, like genetics, you inherit from your parents. We've inherited this from uh, our first father, Adam, the sinfulness. And we looked at some Bible verses because we're a really spiritual group here. Uh, and we were looking at, um, you know, David was saying from uh, his mother's womb, uh, yeah. he's been sinful. Uh, and then we looked at Romans again, uh, where Paul gives a whole list of one-liners talking about what people are like. Uh, and if you read that, it can be quite depressing. But keep reading, because it gets better. Uh, and we were looking at that. So um, I think Paul kind of thinks that, yeah, we're pretty bad. <laughs> so uh, I don't know anything else. Yes. Yeah, okay. he does, of course, cite Psalm 14. There is no one good, no, not one. Yep. So, right, uh, David, please. Pass it on to you. Um, yeah, we also had a scripture from Romans, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, etc., etc. But we felt that people were both, had the capacity to be both good and sinful. So 
it was, yeah, we, that's what, kind of where we got to really with it, that okay. we felt we, people had the capacity to be both, so. Okay, let's go on to Naomi, please. And we're saying that the Bible states that um, humans are essentially evil, but in our culture, um, because we don't really understand the moral idea of good and evil, like how, um, how to be good to be perfect, rather than just a good person, in inverted commas, um, people would say that, oh yeah, I'm a good person, rather than um, having a true understanding of what good and evil is. So I think some people would say good if they weren't Christians, but... Um, but not really understanding what that means. Okay. Uh, Sarah? Um, we thought we were essentially evil. <laughs> um, otherwise, there'd be no reason for Jesus to die on the cross for us. And okay. a clear understanding of who God is and God's goodness means that we fall, we fall short, therefore we're evil. Okay. All right, and you. sums up very well. Um, Sean, will you answer the fourth question? I'm not going to ask the others to answer the fourth question because we're going to come on to that. Um, and some of you didn't get to any. How do we deal with sin or evil in human beings? Sean, you had an answer, so please, you read your answer. We can't, but Jesus can because he was perfect and he died on the cross for us because he's the only perfect human. Okay, thank you. Excellent. Right, what we're going to do, um, if... Let me go through these again. Let me just, and let me summarize this whole teaching about sin. Uh, if you've got Bibles, have a look at Genesis 3. You're going to need to look at Genesis 3. So if you have a Bible, have a look at it. I'm sorry I don't have the ba basic points up because my file was blank, but I'll, they're fairly straightforward and it's not that long anyway. But if you've got a Bible, open it to Genesis 3, which we're going to refer to. Let me just go through the, the questions. What is sin? Um, the modern version of what uh, Donnie and Maggie were saying is sin is any failure to measure up to what God requires or any disobedience to his commands. Now, the important thing about that is sin is not just doing bad things. It's also failing to do the good. It's, it's, it's crucial to recognize that there, is, there are sins of commission. You go out and you steal from the shop. You're committing a sin. But there are sins of omission where, for example, you, um, you omit to uh, care for the justice of the people who are picking your, your tea for your tea bags or whatever, then that is also a sin. You may not be the person going out and mistreating them, but because you are uh, compliant in it, because you're not doing what God requires, that also is sin. And all the other things that are there, probably the most important group of words are the words that indicate it's against God and also it's a broken relationship and it's Mark's Greek word, missing of a mark or of a goal. We just don't make it. And none of us make it. 
the words, as I said, the, the, you basically got all the words that are synonymous with sin. Very good idea to go through Romans and just find them, and you'll find it in every book in the Bible as well. David Cameron's quote, we have faith, and it is faith, that most people are good and will do the right thing if only you trust them. I think it was Shrewsbury or Derby or, or some city or town in England that for a while did away with traffic wardens on the basis that most people are good. Uh, people were pleading to have the traffic wardens back within a week. It was chaos. Now, most people are not good in that sense. In, 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 it, it, it is a slightly more complicated. The Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. It doesn't mean that nobody does good things or has no good within them. None of us has uh, good sufficient to make us right with God. And there is a wonderful teaching in um, theology. It's called total depravity. And I need to explain what that is because you need to grasp it because it's so misunderstood. Total depravity does not mean, I, I'm, if I, I am saying this to you right now, you are and I am totally depraved. Okay? That's not nice. You don't want to be told that. It does not mean that you are as bad as you possibly could be doesn't mean that actually for any human being at all. What it means is this. It means that sin affects every part of your human being, of your, of your hu humanity. So, for example, it affects your mind. It affects your heart. It affects your relationships. It affects um, everything that you are. And that just means that you as a human being and I as a human being, we are distorted. We just never, we, we aren't right. And that creates enormous difficulties. Of course, every single human being has some good within them. We are made within the image of God. We have this enormous capacity for beauty and for truth and for doing good. But every human being, because of what we're going to see, um, probably look at a little bit more next week, because of the fall, because of Adam's sin, every single one of us is born corrupt. Now, um, the whole idea of original sin really, really upsets people. And a lot of people want to say this. They, they use a phrase that human beings are born with um, the Latin term, and it's a sociological term as well, is with a tabula rasa, a blank slate. A wee baby's born, and you say, isn't that wee baby cute? And the, you say there's nothing there. But we actually know that that's not the case. We know genetically that's not the case. And we know that there are character traits that are involved as well. And we know that as we sang in Psalm 51, what the Bible has said is now what modern genetics would accept as well is that no human being is born blank where then things are put in we are born um, I don't think modern society would put it this way but the Bible does and I think the, the evidence is strongly for it we are born with sin now even that so that cute wee baby one thing you will guarantee about every single cute wee baby is if they grow up they will grow up to sin and that will start very young. Um, some of you went through the terrible twos. You have no idea what a child of the devil you were when you were two years old. At least that's what your parents thought. Um, you go just, well, that's a temperamental thing. Maybe some don't go through that. But the fact is that no matter your background, every single human being, there isn't a human being in this world apart from Jesus who has not been born without sin and that needs to affect all of our judgments for example 
Mr. Cameron, I only chose him because I happened to read him this week. But if he really, as a politician, thinks human beings are basically and essentially good, then he will drive this country into absolute chaos. It's not that you just can't trust bankers. Ultimately, you can't trust anyone absolutely. Politicians, teachers, you need checks and balances in any society. That's what government is for. But that's also in the church. Because, for example, if you think in the church, now you'd never think this about me or any of the elders here, but if you did, if you thought, oh, these guys are wonderful and they're almost perfect, then you will soon be very sadly disillusioned. Trust, I, I just know the old um, metrical version of it, of the psalm, trust not in princes nor man's son in whom there is no stay, which is basically means ultimately you can't absolutely trust anybody. Now, you have to trust people. There's an element of trust involved in everything. But ultimately, you can only absolutely and totally trust God. Because as human beings, we are depraved in that way. Now, this is the important thing as well. All of us are. There's nobody who's going to turn around and say, I don't have sin. You, first John, we read First John 3. You need to read the rest of First John as well. But the key thing in First John is, uh, let him who says he is without sin him who thinks is without sin you're a liar if anyone says he has no sin he's lying all of us sin at its deepest and, and profoundest level and here's the irony there's a sense in which the closer you get to god the more you'll be aware of your sin but the more you'll the closer you will get to god if you only become aware of your sin so that you're feeling the kind of yuck factor then that's not right but the, the more you're aware of your sin, the less you rely on yourself and the more you rely on Jesus. And that's why in that extraordinary phrase towards the end of his life, writing in to Timothy, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. He doesn't say I was, then I was a converted, then I became a Christian. He says, and it's tis towards the end of his life he's writing this, after planting the New Testament church basically all over the Mediterranean, after writing half the New Testament, Paul says, and he means it, I am the chief of sinners. So it's, a, it's very important to understand that and to grasp that. Now, go to Genesis 3 and you'll see how all this came about. Now, what Genesis 3 tells you is about the origin of sin in human beings. It does not tell you about the origin of sin in general. For example, it doesn't say anything about the angels and so on. You, some people will want to say, well, if God is good, if God is perfect then why did he allow us to sin? Why did he create a world in which sin was possible? That is a really heavy question, which I am not going to answer just now. Uh, I have to say the answer is invariably bound up with the fact that in order to choose and to be free, you, you, you have to have something to choose. In other words, if you can only choose good, it's not a choice. So normally people like saint augustine if you really 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 want to get into this you need to read augustine's city of god which is goes into this in enormous detail and it hurts your head to read it for me anyway because um, i'm not that smart but as far as i can see what augustine is arguing is this sin is the absence of good it's the absence of god it's not something that's created and somehow god allows that in order to grant us choice and in order to allow for the possibility of morality and also ultimately to allow for redemption and so on. Now, when we come to Genesis 3, this is, you see how sin works. And again, I'm not going to go into great detail in this. I'm just going to mention um, 
three things that happen with sin. Verse 1, this is how sin comes about. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, what is interesting about that is sin begins when the devil comes and causes people to question God and to question his word. Because God did not say you must not eat from any tree in the garden, first of all. He didn't say that. He said you, he said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except one. But what Satan is doing is he's putting into mind a question mark about the goodness of God. Is God really good? Did God really say this? And the, uh, Eve instantly got it wrong. Because what she did was she said, yeah, God said you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. But God didn't say that. She added to the word of God. The devil took away from the word of God and distorted the word of God. But Eve actually added to the word of God because God didn't say you mustn't touch it. She's actually already beginning by embellishing. And sin, this idea of missing the mark and of turning away from God and the relationship with God, sin begins when we doubt the word of God, when we question the goodness and, and the love of God, and we rebel against him. Verse 6 of that, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Doubt gives birth to desire and it's a desire that's wrong. God gives us desires, desires that are right and pleasurable, but the devil distorts desires. And desires can be absolutely overwhelming and overpowering. And we, get, we sin when we give in to that temptation. Now, just, so there's many, many, many examples. Usually sin in our culture is associated with sexual sin. And, and <coughs> perhaps we can understand why. But let's, let's just take that as an example. Let's take the example of um, pornography. It's dead easy, the internet, lots and lots of problems, lots of problems uh, for Christians as well. Because what happens is, first of all, you doubt your relationship with God, you doubt the goodness of God, you're seeking after something else. And then you take what God has given you, which is your sexuality and your appreciation of beauty and things like that, and it gets distorted. It's taken out of the context of God's word. It's taken out of the context of relationship. And you see that something is pleasurable and you go for it. But it never, ever satisfies. It always leads to destruction. Because that's the, the third thing that occurs in Genesis 3 verse 9. Where um, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? The relationship has been broken between God and humanity. Verses 14 onwards, that's when the curse comes in. Cursed are you above all livestock. Cursed are you, greatly will your pains increase in childbirth. Cursed is the ground because of you. And so on. So there's a pattern in sin and humanity. Now it begins with Adam, but that pattern is repeated all the time. And it's a pattern which causes us to question God, to question the wisdom of God, to question our relationship with God, to even ourselves want to be as God, and then 
to not be able to resist all the temptations that come in upon us. We are not in control even of ourselves. And that leads to deceit and it leads to destruction. So it actually is, in that sense, it is that simple. And what is even simpler is this. Not one of us here, not me, not you, not anyone else, will be able to walk out of this building and say, I don't sin, or even I won't sin. Because you will. And you will this week. And you, you can have various options to that. How do we deal with sin? Sean put it very well. We can't. We just can't. It's like, <clears throat> you know, it's like being the worst kind of addict where it's gone beyond. We, we are addicted to sin. We will find ways to sin in, in so many different ways. We may not. I mean, most of us are probably going to be very respectable. We may not go and murder. But we will have pride. We will even, in a group like this, boast about how we read the Bible and other people didn't. <laughs> you know, we will have all kinds of, of things that will happen to us. We will have jealousies. We will have bitterness. We will have greed. And the more you try not to sin, it's almost like adding fuel to the fire. Again, I use the illustration I used of, of um, the whole aspect of pornography. If you've got real problems with pornography, you know, one of the worst things that you can do is say, right, I am going to think that I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to think about pornography. The minute you try not to think about it, it just comes there. It's like if you ever tried fasting and you get to that stage in fasting, it's usually about the 12-hour stage where all you can think about is food. It doesn't matter where you are, there's food everywhere. In your... Now, let's say you manage to fast from sin. You will get to a point where it just overwhelms you because it's within our nature. It's, it's not the way that God made us, but it's the way that the fall has perverted human nature, and that is within our nature. And Paul, again, puts it beautifully in Romans. He's talking, as a Christian, he says, the good that I want to do, that I do not do, the evil that I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do the good that I want to do, and I keep doing the evil that I do not want to do, it's no longer me that's doing it, but it's sin that's living in me. And he's going, this is a body of death. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And he then goes on, and that's how you get Romans 8. Please do not read Romans 8 without Romans 7, because that's when you get, therefore, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So, Sean was absolutely right. We can't. Jesus can, and Jesus does. And I'm going to finish by just, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 2, and you'll see, I mean, now this teaching is through the whole Bible, and it's so important. And that's why understanding sin is so important, because if you don't grasp what sin is, and if you don't grasp how we are disabled, crippled, dead in sin, then you won't grasp how wonderful Christ is. Hebrews 2, and I'm just going to read from verse, um, <coughs> well, let me just say, first of all, in verse 3, it talks about Jesus of chapter 1, sorry, Hebrews 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact reputation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins. 
He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus came to purify us from sins. Chapter 2, verse 14 of Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The story is told of an African-American who was on a train, and he was with a particularly well-known theologian. And this theologian was being asked in a conference to explain Christianity and explain the basic doctrines of Christianity and especially the atonement, which the questioner was saying was a repellent doctrine. And he, he said, well, he said, I can't really explain it as well as uh, this gentleman that I met on this train, an African-American guy. And he said, this is what he told me. He said, very straightforward. He says, this is the Christian doctrine of the atonement. He die, me no die. Simple as that. Christ suffers for our sins. God doesn't punish our sins twice. He is just. And we don't suffer for our sins. Now, that, we will look at that as, as I say more, but Jesus put it another way. He said, those who don't think they're sick don't need a doctor. Or those who are not sick don't need a doctor. Those who are, if you're aware of your sin, you're in a great, great, great position because you can receive Jesus Christ. If you're not aware of your sin, you can't receive Jesus Christ. And I still, I keep coming back to this and I keep repeating it. For me, it's a mantra of a summary of the gospel. Uh, I'm not sure, I don't think Keller was the first to have it. I think Martin Luther uh, taught this and it, it, because it's biblical, Paul taught it. But the gospel, there are two things about the gospel and you which are so important. Number one is you are far more sinful than you realize or grasp. A daring prayer is to pray that God would show you your sin. But number two is that the gospel is you are far more sinful than you can grasp or you understand. But number two is you are far more loved than you could ever imagine you could be. Far more loved than you ever imagined. So if you're going around saying, oh, I'm really sinful, or and you haven't grasped how loved you are, you haven't got the gospel. And if you're going around saying, I'm really loved, but I don't really do with all that sin stuff, you haven't got what the love of Christ is. But you put those two together, and the love of Christ overwhelms and takes away our sin. Um, let me just pray before we sing. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see that we are sinful. We ask that you would help us to see the solution for our sin, that we have a great Savior. May that be true for each one of us. In your name we ask it. Amen. Now, while we're getting ready to sing the last thing, perhaps uh, we could take the collection as well.